Here's everything you might have missed in Andor Episode 10. Welcome back, you Cassian Fandors, to our weekly breakdown of Andor. Episode 10 is something that can only be classified as an absolute banger. This episode kicks more ass than General Grievous if he had four legs instead of arms. Now we're gonna break it all down for you in just a moment, but to do so we have to spoil what happens. So if you haven't seen the latest Andor yet and you're worried about that, you better leave today and not wait any longer. Tomorrow. We can't wait. We'll never have a better chance. You sound insane. No, listen to me. Okay, let's get into it, shall we? Folks, you wanted a jailbreak? Well, that's great news because episode 10 gave us one hell of a jailbreak. It's an episode all about people trying to escape in the face of impossible odds. For Cassian, it's about getting the prisoners to work together to escape Narkina 5. For Mon Mothma, she's trying to escape the inevitable fact that she must debase herself and work with someone that she finds morally repugnant. And for Luthen, well, for Luthen, escape was never an option. And that goes double for anybody working with him, but more on that later on. Once again, Andor masterfully constructs a rebellious Rube Goldberg device of utter chaos and lets you watch it unfold in real time as Cassian and Kino lead the inmates of Narkina 5 to glorious freedom. With each episode, Tony Gilroy and company have showed us exactly how this escape will go down from Cassian's very first day on the floor until now. Also, it's a very nice touch that the prison from overhead looks almost exactly like the Imperial logo. Well, almost. So why is Cassian so confident this plan will work? That's because they have the upper hand. The Empire's power here is an illusion. Everyone's kept in line by the threat of getting turned into a Sparkina 5, but Cassian can see right through this facade. He says power doesn't panic. 5,000 men are about to find out they're never leaving here alive. Don't you think that worries them upstairs? And despite trying to deny that he's a rebel, Cassian sure knows how to give people hope and pull off one hell of a mission in the process. And I wonder if that's gonna come in handy someday. Yeah, rebellions are built on hope. Between Cassian's confidence and the gruesome way the Empire worked Ulof to death, Kino Loy is finally well and truly convinced of the righteousness of their cause. And this is an important revelation because he commands so much respect from the other inmates. Without Kino, this whole thing would fall apart. On the morning of their escape, Kino begins a refrain that carries through the rest of the episode. There is only one way out. And that one way out isn't serving the rest of their sentences, it's fighting back against a fascist war machine. And it's doubly important for them to do so if what they've been building is an actual fascist war machine, AKA building parts for the Death Star. After all, Project Stardust isn't exactly public knowledge by this point, so it makes sense that a construction project on that scale would need an army of laborers working around the clock until they die. Now, when it comes time to actually enact their plan, I did have to laugh a little bit amid the tension because Cassian is so incredibly suspicious when he comes out of the bathroom dripping wet. No one questions it. What happened in there, pal? Anyway, what follows is classic misdirection as a fake prison fight is used to distract the guards while Cassian and Birkin clamber up the elevator to take them out. It's a tense, thrilling sequence that also gives a sense of the staggering scale of this prison. The endless staircase leading up to the command center feels straight out of the Shinra headquarters in Final Fantasy VII during Avalanche's assault on that corporate nerve center. And when Cassian and Kino finally make their way to the prison's nerve center, we see who's behind the pernicious PA announcements in this punishing panopticon. Yet another fascist dork who crumbles under any semblance of pressure. Turn it off! That could mean so many things. I'll turn it off. It's just as Cassian said, they have no real power here. It's an illusion right down to the vocoder used to demand obedience from the prisoners. 
Now, as I wrote in my notes for this next section, oh my God, Andy Serkis is so fucking good. Serkis imbues Kino with so much raw humanity as we see this frightened man step up to the microphone and morph from nervous child to leader of men. It's the second best monologue of the episode as he rallies the men across the prison, compelling them to rise up against their oppressors. It also serves to make the end of their prison break just absolutely heartbreaking. Because despite conquering his fears and helping to lead a full-on rebellion in Narkeena 5, Kino is faced with the bleak reality that, like the episode title suggests, there really is only one way out, and it's one that he can't take. The one way out is to jump into the water below, but for Kino, it's unfortunate because he sadly cannot swim. Seeing him standing stone still amid the chaos and crush of bodies, sweeping everyone, including Cassian, over the side, is one of the most brutal moments in Star Wars history. And while Cassian and Melshi run off to freedom under the three moons visible from Narkeena 5, things aren't going nearly as well in the rest of the galaxy far, far away. Back on Ferrix, it's looking more like a war zone every day with stormtroopers guarding the hotel. An increasingly ill Marv is being surveilled not only by Cinta on behalf of Luthen, but by an ISB plant as well. And it's yet another clue that all roads for Cassian will ultimately lead back to Ferrix. It won't be the homecoming that he wants, but you'd better believe those secret tunnels beneath the hotel will be heavily involved, or else I'll just be a little disappointed. Anyway, back on Coruscant, Mon Mothma meets with the slimiest man in town, Davos Skaldin. It's a good thing he's slimy, though, because Mon needs a more fluid banking situation. Despite Mon's hostility to Davo, he is her only hope when it comes to the necessary business of laundering the Rebellion's dirty money. The price of doing business, though, is something that Mon might not be willing to pay. What Davo glibly describes as a drop of discomfort is basically a betrothal between his teenage son and Mon's daughter, Lita. As the show established in Episode 8 in Chandrillan tradition, marriages are often arranged at the age of 15. While Davo's son might be a perfectly nice young man, it's the hardest choice that Mon has had to make so far, one made even worse by the fact that she clearly loves her teenage daughter, even when Lita treats her like total garbage. But rebellion requires sacrifice, and Mon might have to proverbially sacrifice a Lita to be a true leader herself. We also get a brief sequence in Luthen's art gallery where the shadowy rebel leader and Clea are discussing setting up a meet with one of their contacts who seems spooked. And while Luthen's shop is well established as being full of Easter eggs from across the galaxy far, far away and even Indiana Jones, here we can see another familiar looking item, a headdress that looks like the one that Padme wore in Attack of the Clones. And last but not least, we come to the Imperial Security Bureau, where they're proceeding with their plan to try and bait out Anto Krieger to take out that rebel cell in one fell swoop before their planned attack on the power station on Spellhouse. So it sounds like everything's not coming up Spellhouse, at least for Anto Krieger's boys. And players of the Star Wars role-playing game might recognize the sound of that ship, a GPE-7000 model, which first appeared in 2009's Legacy-era campaign guide. Now, what everyone else may recognize is Lonnie Young, one of the ISB supervisors trying and failing to keep a low profile in the seedy criminal underbelly of Coruscant. In a scene that feels straight out of Blade Runner, Young walks through what appears to be a black market past a sign in Orabesh reading, you must carry your chain code. Even down here, the Empire tries to enforce its surveillance state apparatus by telling citizens to carry chain codes, the form of identification we first saw hard-coded into armor on the Mandalorian. 
Eventually, Young makes his way to a secret elevator and finds a comm unit stashed inside. On the other end of that comm unit, in one of the most thrilling reveals of the show so far, is Luthen Rail. This mustachioed milk toast is actually a mole working for Luthen. He's feeding information to Axis and using his info to keep the ISB off their scent. Here, Luthen is genuinely chilling, immediately letting Young know that he knows all about his wife and daughter. And it's apparently the right lever to pull, because Young's daughter is exactly why he wants out of this arrangement with Axis. Young tries to warn about the ISB's trap for Krieger and his men, but Luthen is perfectly willing to let them all die to preserve the Rebel Alliance's subterfuge. What better way to reassure the ISB there's no leak in security than by sacrificing Krieger? It's a grim calculus that Luthen has to make on a daily basis, and Young's panicked attempts to back out of their vow holds no sway. These aren't just pockets, pockets. of rebellion that Luthen's fomenting. fomenting. It's a movement, it's a way of life, one that Luthen will live and die by, and so help him, so will Young. You're trapped, Lonnie. It's one of the darkest things we've seen one of these so-called good guys do so far, and it's another expertly illustrated example of the capacity for violence and cruelty that are necessary to create the circumstances that are required for revolution. To Luthen, it's simple. Young is too valuable where he is. He tells Young that Krieger's men will be dying to make sure his daughter has a father. And when asked what he sacrificed, Luthen responds with an absolutely searing monologue, one that should earn Stellar Skateboard an Emmy nomination if there's any justice in this world. And that grim calculus I mentioned before is always present on Luthen's mind. He says, I wake up every day to an equation I wrote 15 years ago from which there's only one conclusion. I'm damned for what I do. Luthen knows that he's the one that has to start this fight. He won't be around to end it, but he has to spill the blood necessary to grease the wheels of rebellion. He has to put this machine into motion before the fascist powers that be can entrench themselves even further and instill a sense of fear, stasis, and defeat. It's the same principle as on Narcana 5. They use fear to beat down those who would resist them until the will to resist is beaten out of them. Or maybe Moff Tarkin said it best in A New Hope. Fear will keep the local systems in line. Now, Luthen understands this. He admits it freely, saying, I'm condemned to use the tools of my enemy to defeat them. I burn my decency for someone else's future. I burn my life so they can see a sunrise I know I'll never see. And the ego that started this fight will never have a mirror or an audience or the light of gratitude. So what do I sacrifice? Everything. And Damn, if that isn't one of the most heroic and harrowing sentiments all wrapped up in one amazing barn burner of a monologue. Honestly, folks, I know that I keep saying this, but Andor is truly top tier Star Wars. It continually lends rich new shades to the Skywalker saga and the rest of the galaxy far, far away. Its clear-eyed look at the realities of revolution, ugliness and all, make the rest of Star Wars even better, like steel sharpening steel. And at least if nothing else, one day there will be a new hope on the horizon long after Luthen's hard work has come to an end. Anyway, folks, there you have it. That's everything we spotted and wanted to break down for you in the latest episode of Andor. With only two episodes to go, I'm keeping my fingers firmly crossed they can maintain this incredible trajectory because so far it's making a strong play to be my favorite Star Wars series to date. We'll be back next week with another breakdown, but for now, tell us, what did you think of the latest Andor? Did you spot anything that we missed? I can't tell. Let us know in the comments below, and for the latest and greatest in the world of pop culture, make sure you stay tuned to Nerdist.com.